solar is interesting, no matter what. <laughs> you know, I think it's going to change the world, and I've always said it's the energy of the future. But what I think was the big win for me is the fact that you could store the energy. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Dowenhauer. This week we are talking about solar and the unbelievable power it can deliver when you concentrate it. Concentrating solar power, or CSP, is radically different from photovoltaic or PV power, which has dominated the solar discussion over the last few years. Whereas PV solar converts photons from the sun directly into electricity, CSP uses the solar thermal energy from the sun and concentrates it using mirrors. It should come as no surprise to you that PV solar is much more popular than CSP with 300 gigawatts of installed PV versus less than 5 gigawatts of CSP. Probably the biggest reason for this is the versatility of PV. They can be installed on rooftops, don't need perfect sunlight, which is why you see tons of them in places like Germany and New Jersey. CSP, as we will discuss, requires very specific sunlight. This is measured in terms of DNI, or direct normal irradiation. Some of the best places on Earth for DNI are Tibet, nearly all of Australia, the southwesternmost tip of Africa, the southwestern U.S., and the Atacama Desert in Chile near Bolivia and Argentina. And even if your DNI is great, there may still be small airborne dust called aerosols that can make the region less desirable than a satellite image would suggest. To properly vet a zone for a CSP power plant, you'd want special meteorological equipment on the ground with about three to five years of data. Compare that to PV plants, which can spring up in a matter of months, and you see why one is preferred over the other. But when conditions are perfect, the benefits are tremendous. First off, CSP can be stored very effectively. We've discussed storing renewable electricity in industrial scale batteries, and that's expensive. But heat generated from renewable concentrating solar power can be stored cheaply and effectively. This is accomplished by melting salt and using that heat to run a conventional steam generation plant. This salt is like coffee in a Yeti thermos. It takes forever to cool down, and that's great news because the salt allows solar power to essentially provide power around the clock, which neither conventional solar or wind can do very well. Concentrating solar energy has been around for thousands of years. One use, which we'll learn in this episode, is probably the coolest naval warfare strategy I've ever heard about. Concentrated solar power got its start in the late 1960s, had a bit of a dry period in the 80s and 90s, and has really taken off in the last 10 years. There are currently four CSP designs out there. Parabolic trough is a curved arc design arranged in long rows that focuses sunlight into a tube above those mirrors. A variation of this is the compact linear Fresnel reflector design, which uses the same tube component, except that the concentrators are not curved. The dish engine design is very promising, though there are currently no commercial facilities. It looks like a satellite dish, with light focus into a point similar to a feed horn on a satellite dish that would be at your house. And finally, there's the power tower. You probably first saw one of these in that Matthew McConaughey movie, Sahara. Hey, where are we going? Hell about now, but we're making great time. 
using that design, a coordinated series of heliostats on the ground focus sunlight up to a central point on a tower. It can get hot enough to melt those aforementioned salts and provide a lot of steady, dispatchable power. One of the most impressive power tower facilities is the Ivanpah Solar Electric Generating Facility located about an hour south of Las Vegas. It produces 392 megawatts and is currently the largest operational CSP facility in the world, though plenty more are announced that would be much bigger. I like CSP because it's a technology that's quickly developing. It's becoming more efficient, affordable, and resilient. It's dispatchable, and most importantly, it looks really cool. Our guest today is Belen Gallego, CEO and co-founder of ATA Insights, a market intelligence consulting firm based in Madrid. Belen is a CSP expert who founded CSP Today in 2006 when facilities were just starting to come online. This episode marks two firsts for the podcast. This was my first international interview, and as far as I can tell, Belen is my first guest to have delivered a TED Talk, which is a secret goal of mine next to getting one of those sketch headshots in the Wall Street Journal. I hope you enjoy my interview with Belen Gallego. We're here with Belen Gallego. And Belen, I want to talk to you about concentrated solar today. What are some advantages concentrated solar has over photovoltaic solar, PV? Well, I'm glad that you asked me that question because I think the biggest advantage that CSP or concentrated solar power has over photovoltaic solar is definitely the fact that it can be dispatched, is dispatchable. That is because we have the ability in CSP to store the energy we're producing in thermal and molten salts. And we can use it whenever we need it as well. So what ends up happening is you can actually produce energy when you need it, when it's required by the grid, over 24-hour periods or whatever you like. Furthermore, because it's a thermal process, what happens is that not only is it dispatchable, but it's also more firm because of the way that the thermal processes essentially dispatch energy into the grid. So dispatchability, firmness, and the fact that you can store energy, I think, are the biggest differentiators and the advantages of concentrated solar power over PV. And so what's exactly being stored here in heat? The difference between CSP and PV, first and foremost, is that there are two completely different technologies. They do use the sun as energy fuel, if you like, but in completely different ways. Photovoltaic uses the light from the sun and it transforms that into electricity through semiconductors using the different areas of the light spectrum. Whilst concentrated solar power is essentially a thermal block, like the coal and the gas block, attached to a solar field that takes the heat from the sun and instead of burning coal or gas, what you do is you concentrate the sun and you collect it in the form of heat. So when I talk about storage, what you actually do is you transfer that heat into molten salt and they are able to keep that heat for very long periods of time. The molten salt. Tell us a little bit more about how that works. I don't think many people may be familiar with molten salt and its properties. Molten salts are very well known. They've been used for decades and it's literally salts that are turned into a liquid state. Salts usually liquefy at about 230, so that's the temperature at which they're always kept. And then they can usually take temperatures up to about 570 degrees approximately. So what you do is, depending on what temperature your plant operates at, you just 
just take all of that heat through a heat exchanger and you transfer it to the molten salts and then you keep them in huge tanks and the thermal efficiency is very very high so for example if you just heated the molten salt and it's at 575 degrees you'll only lose about a degree a day so you can store that for days on end you know and not lose a lot of efficiency and it literally is the old salts that we have nitrates mostly so nothing new no new technology anything that is very well known it's also that same technology is used as sometimes for fertilizers and other things and it's just huge amounts of them tons and tons of them all you have to make sure is that your temperature doesn't go any lower than the 225 degrees approximately or 230 at which rate it solidifies and it can get really hard to then reheat it back up but other than that it's one of like the safest technologies in the world and it can cycle forever so it has infinite cycles it's not like another battery in which after 20,000 cycles so it starts using the thermal ability to store it you can use it forever and never runs out that's incredible is concentrated solar more efficient than photovoltaic and in what way this is a kind of a tricky question. However, if you speak to more engineers and you force them to give an opinion, most of them say that they're about the same. That what matters there is mostly the resource and how you take advantage of it. So I think renewable energy plants, in a way, have an increased difficulty in terms of not only you have to build a plant, but you have to build a plant to the best resource of the place where you are doing it to take the best advantage of it. Obviously, CSP, being a thermal system and a thermal process, it has the same limitations that any Rankine cycle has in gas and coal, I think it's around 30%. EV is completely different because it transforms different parts of the energy and you can see there are different array of panels, some of them going from 12%, 17, 20, even you have 40s and 50%. But of course, then that energy also has to get transferred and changed again in in the inverter. They're difficult to compare. The one thing though is PV uses GHI, which is Global Horizontal Irradiation, and the concentrated solar power uses DNI, which is Direct Normal Irradiation. And it seems like a little differentiation when you're not into it, but if you ask light and solar nerds, they will tell you that they're completely different kinds of sunlight. Global horizontal radiation is present nearly everywhere and it can use, it can be pretty much deployed anywhere. With CSP, it's a little bit different. You need to have DNI and DNI, it's not harder to find, but harder to find for it to be good because several things have to happen at the same time. You need to have the light almost falling perpendicular in one place, but you also have to have a very clear sky. You cannot have a lot of dust and suspension and a lot of dusty areas. What happens is that energy gets reflected out in the dust particles. So the first thing you have to do is check out that the DNI is correct. A little bit more about DNI, areas like Spain, we have a DNI of about 1,800 to 2,100 kilowatt hour per meter square per year. In the U.S., most of the areas where you have CSP, 2,500 to 2,800. The best area in the world is the Atacama Desert in Chile. And it's a very good area because it's quite high. The DNI is supposed to be between 3,500 and 3,800. Because there is such altitude and the air is quite clean, the sun falls really perpendicular, but also it's quite cold because of these high elevations, this is the best area in the world for CSP. Now, if you said to me, Belen, in the Atacama Desert, can a PV panel do as well or be as efficient as CSP? I can tell you now, no. 
because PV works not so well when it's hot. But for other areas, perhaps Germany, obviously you could not have CSP there in Germany at all, you know, or in Alaska, you couldn't have CSP at all. So what is better, what is more efficient? We would have to determine it literally depending on the area in which you are looking at having a solar plant. Not all solar is the same or similar even. So I don't know if that responded to your question, but I hope it did. No, it's very informative. You started CSP today in 2006. What changes in CSP technology have you seen since then? Many, 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 many changes. So the industry started actually in the 80s in the United States, and they were built in California between the 80s and the early 90s, essentially. What happened then is from the time that the solar electricity generation systems went bankrupt is that we had nearly a 20 years hiatus in which absolutely nothing was happening. When I joined the industry in 2006, it was an industry that had a track record that could historically prove that this technology worked, that had bankability, but there wasn't any commercial R&D being done. In 2005, 2006, it was starts again. It's now really been 12 years, if you think about it. And one of the things that we've seen most is, of course, all of the equipment has gotten better, a little bit more efficiency. More has happened in terms of optimizing the whole system because CSP is a lot of little pieces that are integrated together by an EPC contractor, an engineering procurement and construction contractor. And we've seen a lot of gains in terms of how those plants are structured, how the solar fields are built, how the liquids are moved in the plant, etc. There is a lot of marginal innovations and improvements that have happened over the time. But the biggest change has been in the movement towards slightly different technologies within the CSP spectrum. In CSP, we usually talk about four different technologies. We talk about parabolic trough, which were the original SEGs in California. That technology has continued to improve. But what has happened is that this new technology called the tower system, which is a central tower surrounded by a field of heliostats or mirrors that are bouncing off the sunlight into the tower. You are there capturing all of that heat. And what happens is you don't have to move it very much because the power block is just at the bottom of the tower. Usually they use molten salts. Now that technology wasn't possible. In 2006, we saw the very first one, but even with molten salts, it wasn't really all there. And it has gotten a lot, lot better over time. The first plant and the only plant that was a tower system in 2006 was the PS10 in Seville. It's a 10 megawatt plant. Today, we're seeing plants of 150 megawatts, much different technology, much more efficient with molten salt that can store up to 18 or even more hours if you wanted it to. And it really gets tricky, you know, after a certain point because you can add more mirrors, but the further away you are than the mirrors, you have to be much more exact in the way you're sending that sun back into the towers. Molten salt, definitely, and using those and tower technology. What got you interested in this technology? You know, for me, solar is interesting, no matter what. (laughs) You know, I think it's going to change the world, and I've always said it's the energy of the future. Anything renewable, I'm in for. Anything solar, I'm in for. But what I think was the big win for me is the fact that you could store the energy. Anywhere that I could see, coal, gas, you are able to produce energy when you need it. I love renewables, but if you cannot produce energy when you need it, then to me, it only has a limited amount of utility. At the moment, we can withstand a lot of renewable loads into the system, because we have backup, we have gas and coal, really, that we can use whenever the sun is not shining or the wind is not blowing. And so in my mind from about 10 years ago, I thought that CSP was the only way 
to get 100% renewables in any grid system, which is why I sort of liked it from the beginning. What should we know about this technology that you think most people don't know about? And I, for one, can say that I was not aware of the molten salt making this technology dispatchable. First, this technology has been used for not years or decades, but centuries. And it's told that they would use in battleships back on like the 1500s and the 1600s to sink ships. So you would have a lens that you use to put a ship on fire. There is nothing new about concentrated solar power. All it is is taking the heat and putting it in one place so that it concentrates. Something that you may not know as well is you really only need a very small patch on Earth in a very good DNI area in order to power the world for like a whole year. It's amazing the amount of energy that falls on Earth that we're not using at all. And also it fits really well with a centralized grid system that we have right now. Any other renewables, you need to move towards the smart grid and to distribute the grid. One other thing, most people think that CSP needs a lot of water. It doesn't. It only really it can be dry cooled. It only really needs water for cleaning of the mirrors. And it can be operated for 24 hours and even days on end. So you can have literally solar energy produced at night. So I think that's quite something. There are several different designs when it comes to CSP. I think you mentioned a few of them earlier. Parabolic, what we call the power tower. People who've seen the movie Sahara would be familiar with that. The dish engine. What do you like about these designs? Is there any one that you prefer above the other ones? It's difficult to say, you know, what's your favorite child, I suppose. I like them all, and they're each different, and they are better suited for a specific kind of job. So that is what is nice about it. The most extended one at the moment is parabolic trough, and what it is is just literally a mirror that is curved, and it has like a tube receiver that goes through the center. It reflects the light from the sun and then back up onto the tube. It's very efficient, even though the temperatures it can manage to reach normally are a little bit lower. They're about 393, 400 degrees, just about because there has some limitations due to the movement of the actual troughs themselves. Right now, it's kind of like the simplest one to go for. Power towers, however, they're like a lot nicer to look at. You know exactly why, you know, people would look at it in movies. And normally when you look at it, it's very striking because it seems like something comes from the future. The good thing about them is they have less movement of liquid through a huge solar field because everything is concentrated in the tower. They can get to much higher temperatures. Then there is Fresnel, very flat mirrors with a tube on top and those flat mirrors are reflecting the light up onto the tube and there are a couple of commercial plants in the world one in Spain and one in India as well as a small pilot in the US but this technology commercially for electricity is not something that we've seen a lot but it has a lot of uses for industrial applications for anything that's to do with mining food and beverage industry and then dish is not a technology that you see very often in like industrial scale there's been a lot of innovations now and a lot of new companies, but it's used a lot into smaller applications with farming, food production. We've seen a lot of that in India. A different kind of audience, if you like, more of the distributed kind. For me, the proof is in the pudding. If you can make it work for what is needed, I'm happy with it. But what we're seeing more and what is more incredible and more in the way of marketing, it helps convince people that this thing works, is definitely towers. Aesthetically as well, they look better. Who are some of the companies leading this industry as far as the design and manufacturing are concerned? 
when we talk about this technology, we usually talk about in terms of developers. Then we have EPCs, and these are the guys that manage the whole construction of the project. And then we have literally thousands upon thousands of equipment manufacturers. Now, something very interesting that happens in this industry is companies that would be, for example, developers in the U.S., they are then technologists elsewhere or they are manufacturing elsewhere. The developers are usually companies like Aqua, Engie, Mazdar, Avengoa, GE, Solar Reserve in the U.S. particularly, and Energie de France or EDS. Companies that are technologists would be companies like Prices Energy, Sener, Fresnel. EPCs would be companies like ACS Cobra, which is one of the biggest EPCs in the world, Fiona, TSK, Sepco, which is a Chinese company, China, Shanghai and Electric, and of course, for example, in the U.S., Bechtel. And then in terms of manufacturers, we have so many, but some of the large ones that most people may know, Siemens, Foster Wheeler, Alborg, there are also solar field specific companies. And one of the largest ones there would be Rio Glass, which is a company that manufactures tubes and mirrors, etc. How expensive is this technology compared to other sources of energy? Yeah, it's a very good question, and it's one that we get asked all the time. What we do know is the PPI prices, this power purchase agreement. So let me give you an example. In CSP in Spain, it was the first market in which we had clear indication. There was a huge feed-in tariff, and the feed-in tariff at the time was 26 euro cents per kilowatt hour, right? It was quite high, but at the same time, the PV tariff was 45 cents, so that you have an idea, okay? So actually, the tariff for PV was much, much larger, almost twice as much as CSP. And over time, when South Africa came into being and it became a huge market for CSP and then Morocco and Chile to a certain extent, the US, of course, as well. And then finally, the United Arab Emirates, the price went down slowly but surely, went to 21, then to 18, 17. And the last area where we saw like a big decrease was in Dubai. They were asking for something very specific and it was literally a thermal battery. This plant was to work from 4 p.m. at night until 10 a.m. in the day. And the idea with this is that during the day, there is a lot of sun in Dubai. So PV is working and is producing a lot of energy. But what happens when PV drops off? Well, you either need gas or you need CSP. So that is why they were procuring this specific CSP plant that does not produce energy at all during the day. This plant was optimized to just work pretty much at night, right? So all that it has in the solar field is collecting energy to use at night. There was four bids and three of them came around the 10th US cent kilowatt hour. So you can appreciate that from 20 six euro cents to 10 US cents in literally a decade that is a very, very steep cost reduction curve and learning curve in terms of those costs coming down. One of the things that has happened lately is that China has gone into CSP in a very big way. And if you think about PV back on the time, we've seen the price come down really, really quickly after China got into the manufacturing game. The Chinese companies are now deploying in China itself 1.3 gigawatts of CSP that has to be finished by the end of 2019, I think. And, you know, only from here, the costs are going to go down steeply. Again. They believe that within the next three, four years, we will be seeing prices of about six to seven cents in the region. So this is what we're talking for the foreseeable future. You mentioned this, maybe you can summarize, but what are some of the limitations of CSP? One definitely is the resource, and I cannot stress this enough. And a further limitation is the timeline. What ends up happening with this is that when you do end up building a plant, you've had probably two to five year developing process. And this is much, much higher than PV. And also another issue is that in a lot of the markets that we are trying to operate on, governments want renewable energy. But they're trying to find ways in which to diversify the matrices in terms of just having more renewable without really thinking about what 
the grid needs. It's hard to figure out what is that extra premium cost for that ability to dispatch whenever you need it. People don't understand the differences between PV and CSP. Many times they don't even understand the difference between solar and wind. They just want renewable. So this is something that time will help us because as you add more and more undispatchable into the grid, then you need more ability to dispatch. And the next point is that in order for this to be competitive, it needs to be quite scaled up. You need to be talking about quite large plants, 100, 200, 300, you know, that sort of thing. The capex for these plants is quite high because you don't pay for fuel, but you pay for it up front. It can be hard for the banks to really understand how these plants work over time. Are there other challenges the technology seems to be overcoming? Things that come to mind for me would be keeping the surfaces clean or free of cracks and blemishes. There is a lot of challenges like in any other technology, of course. None of them are insurmountable. But I think one good point is, of course, the cleaning. The mirrors have to be clean with no even specks of dust. PV can do a lot better with a little bit of dirt. We cannot. If we have a little bit of dirt, it doesn't work that well, a CSP plant at all, if at all. We need to have constant cleaning. And this is definitely a challenge that we have to deal with, particularly when you're talking about desert conditions. If it's wet, it turns to clump onto the mirror, so you need to clean that out effectively and quickly. It uses water. So this is something that also has to be taken into consideration. If you use water and you are in the desert, you know, where the DNA is usually better, you know, it's not easy to carry water to these places. Now, I think it's already improving, you know, that we're using different kinds of technologies that are put into the mirrors so that they don't stick to the dust, it falls right off. And we're constantly developing technologies to clean the mirrors quicker and with less water. But it's certainly something that needs to be sorted out. Dry cooling is possible and it's happening more and more so. But when you dry cool, you also lower the efficiency of the plant. Well, a good example for this is if you go to Chile, the Atacama Desert is definitely the best place for CSP, but at high elevations there, there is not a lot of water. The easy solution is to go down to the coast and just put your CSP plant there. But what happens in the coast is, yes, you have access to water, but the ENI is not so good there because close to the ocean there's clouds and also there is the fact that you have coal plants and gas plants that are sending smoke up into the air, which you know, interferes with your sunlight. And we also have an issue with breakage, but it's um, a small one. Sometimes a mirror can break or a tube can break, and then what you need to do is you need to change it as soon as possible. However, over the past few years, the predictive maintenance of these plants has gotten a lot better. So we're seeing less and less of those things happening. One more question before we go into my lightning round. And this is one that I've been talking about a lot with folks, especially with interesting renewable energies. Is It would seem to me that this technology would have a huge potential in the developing world places that could use electricity. What efforts are being made there in the developing world to further this technology in those areas? There is a lot of areas, as you said, the developing world that really could benefit from this, more so than any other technology. I think what it has is a huge opportunity for localization. A lot of the stuff that we're talking about here, you know, mirrors, steel, can be used locally. It can be used locally. A lot of the know-how is obviously in the equipment manufacturing, but it's in putting all of this together. So There's a huge scope for skill development, for teaching, for educational purposes, and a lot of that has happened there. Now, what has been done to further this in other countries? Well, the first step is always, always always to assess that DNI. Then once you have that, the next step, and sometimes it happens in parallel, is to start looking into local universities, local research centers, and see how in the government we do have some local piloting to see how what the capabilities within the country are, you know, the manufacturing capabilities. And usually you run a lot of studies of what can be found already there in the country for this industry, when it's to be brought from abroad. And you start actually creating a picture of not only what the price of energy is, which is what we're 
we're discussing all the time, but also what is the impact of developing that plan in the country? And the next step is, of course, try to get the government to understand not only the cost, but also the impact and the value on their own chains and on their own electricity generation systems, the grids. For example, let me just mention one specific project. I am working in a collaborating on behalf of the World Bank, and what we are doing is we're just trying to make it easy for governments across the Middle East and the North of Africa to understand what the pros and the cons are for this particular technology in their countries. Belen, I'm going to let you go, but what I do with everyone is I ask what I call yes, my yes. lightning round of questions about different energy sources, okay. starting with natural gas. Is it the most common? It's very important in the energy mixes, but I think it's underpriced and it's skewed in the economies of energy. And it's also finite, which I don't like. Crude oil. It's over. I mean, it's important for transport, but I think it's important. It's going to decrease over time with EVs. Nuclear. It's risky and it's expensive. And to me, it just sounds like you can't really externalize nearly every expense that you have and then pretend that something is cheap. Coal. It's last century, I think. It's dirty and it's unnecessary, and I think it's completely outstaged by natural gas. Wind. It's variable, but it's a really, really great resource, and I'm really grateful it opened the renewable energy market. I'm now at solar. I'm going to split them up between PV solar. So your thoughts on PV solar? It's a disruptor. It's absolutely a disruptor of energy. It's changed the energy industry, and it's also the future. It's the energy of our children's children. CSP solar. It's what brings renewable energy together in your energy grid and makes sense of it. So it's what supports the disruption. Biofuels. I don't think they're necessary, quite honestly, and tricky to justify considering a growing population and food needs. Fuel cells. I love the idea of fuel cells. They've been promising for like the last 10 plus years, you know, 15 years. I don't know whether we're any closer. I think a good part there is batteries. Batteries, I think, could be a game changer if that were to happen, and they will happen. So a game changer in that sense. I don't know if fuel cells and batteries here are compatible. Maybe you're going to ask me about batteries. (laughs) (laughs) Hydroelectric. You know those big scale things uh, are hard to now put through. I don't know whether they're possible to even implement, but in smaller scales, I like them a lot. And in localized areas particularly, you can do a lot of good with that. Geothermal. Exploration is very tricky and very expensive, but if you have the resource and you know what it is, then it's great. It's a great resource. Electric vehicles. Electric vehicles are the next disruptor for the energy industry. They're going to change again upside down how the whole system works. I love them. (laughs) Nuclear fusion. Yeah, I don't know whether that's a thing. Maybe 50 years away, I don't know. That's what they said, no? I I don't know that much about it. But to me, it sounds like, you know, something come out of Hollywood. Belen Gallego, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much for inviting me here today. It's been great to talk about CSP with somebody (laughs) that likes it so much. (laughs) That was Belen Gallego, CEO and co-founder of ATA Insights in Madrid. I want to also thank Jennifer Rigney at BrightSource Energy, one of the leaders in CSP, for setting up this interview. BrightSource is the firm that developed that Ivanpah facility I mentioned in the beginning. Belen was very helpful with pictures, which I've posted on Instagram at Host Energy and online at energy-cast.com. All guests are sent the raw and completed shows the week of release. So far, no complaints. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 25. Be sure to join us next week when we explore the untapped potential of byproducts the oil and gas industry has been tossing out. Until then, I'm Jay Dauenhauer. We'll see you next time.